My name is Greg Boyd, one of the teachers here at Woodland Hills Church. Good to see you all here on this beautiful April 1st Sunday morning. I'm always paranoid on April 1st because I've had some nasty stuff done to me on April 1st. Janice, our executive pastor, is just nasty and mean and cruel, and, and she's pulled a couple of nasty ones, so I'm always kind of like, you know, a little paranoid. Uh, we'll see what happens here. Hopefully it'll be safe. Uh, if you're visiting us for the first time, we're really glad that you're here, and if you would like to find out more about uh, this church, what we believe, what we're called to do, and things like that, stop by at the Hub, and uh, just tell them you're visiting, and we've got a packet of information and a CD that we'd just love to share with you. Please turn off your cell phones and pagers and any other possible electronic noisemaker. I would very much appreciate it. Um, and if anyone with you starts to be a distraction, crying or whatever, we've, uh, we encourage you to take them back in the gathering area, or we've got a soundproof room back there, and you can still be part of the uh, ministry that way, part of the service that way. A couple of announcements here. Uh, our Refuge is kicking off on April 5th, this Thursday. Starts at 6 o'clock, they have a meal, and then they uh, have a little teaching for everybody, and then they break into small groups. Uh, and I would encourage you uh, to check out the, the brochure they have back there on that ministry. This is just one of the things I'm, I'm happiest about at Woodland Hills. Uh, the, the, the support groups they have here are just, they just cover the gamut. Um, you know, folks who are uh, looking for job training, folks who are covering, recovering from uh, divorce, uh, going through any kind of a grief. They've got a, a ultimate journey class for folks who want to grow in their healing and their Christ identity. They've got a discovery Christ, freedom in Christ class. They've got the Father's heart. Uh, folks who are desiring to uh, grow closer to the Father. They've got running with wild horses, which is about a supportive community. Uh, they've got a GLBT support group. They've got courage and change. Uh, are you feeling unfulfilled in your relationships? How to do relationships better? Just check it out. It's got some cool stuff there, and uh, uh, be a part of that. Then we also have here, uh, our Good Friday service is going to be held this Friday. Uh, God always shows up at that, uh, that, that service in a powerful way. It's just always got a unique, uh, very sweet, uh, contemplative sort of feel to it. I encourage you to come and be a part of that as we just do some meditations around around the cross and some worship around the, the meaning of the cross. And then our Easter service as well, with not surprisingly, be held on Easter. So there you go. Uh, we'll be uh, doing this series called Tapestry, where we're going to be uh, pulling from aspects of the Christian tradition to kind of give folks an idea of, of the various streams that converge here at this very odd church that we call Woodland Hills Church, with a very odd name, too. Um, and um, uh, so we'll be going through this series, and we're encouraging folks to sign up to be part of uh, the Tuesday night uh, going further class that will be here. Uh, on Tuesdays, and we'll have uh, kind of some more group uh, teaching and some questions, and then we'll break into smaller groups. It'll all be held right here, but you'll go a little deeper than we can go in the, in the church service. So you can sign up for that at the hub after the service, or you can also sign up online. Otherwise, I just encourage you to read the bulletin, pray over what you see in the bulletin there, get online, know what's going on, and if this is your, your spiritual home, uh, pray about all the things that you see there as well, because we're always looking for more of a prayer covering. All right, anything else? I think that covers all of the preliminary stuff. We are uh, studying the book of Colossians in this epoch of our church history. And uh, so we're all the way up now to uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. I'm going to be trying to save a little bit of time at the end of the service for some questions. Uh, so uh, if you have questions as we're going through the service, you can uh, send them to that number. Just dial in that number and we'll get to as many as we can. Uh, we're, I'm going to try something here uh, after the service. Uh, there's always more questions than we can get to. 
And, uh, and folks uh, sometimes have other things they want to talk about. And so I'm going to, for about 15 minutes, go back at the end of the service. I usually stay up here and talk to folks, but I'm going to make a beeline uh, back to our little prayer chapel back there and uh, sit, sit with whoever wants to come uh, for 15, 20 minutes and um, just have some questions and Q&A back there. So uh, if you want to be part of that, you're invited as well. Although there's limited space, so first come, first serve, and no pushing or punching is allowed. So there you go. So we're entitling this message Stoikeion. Stoikeion. Everyone say Stoikeion. It's a Greek word. You're learning a little bit of Greek here. We always tell people if you come to this church, you're going to get educated. So you're learning some Greek here. Stoikeion refers to the elemental forces of this world that we would be talking about. Actually, the technical pronunciation is Stoikeion. But let's forget the ch part. It just gets a little phlegmy. We'll just uh, go Stoikeion. And, uh, and you'll see here it has everything to do with this passage. This is the same passage we read last week. It'll probably be the same passage we pick up after Easter because it's a fantastic passage and we're not in a hurry around here. So here's what Paul says, starting with verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, stoikeion. You depend on the elemental forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. I'll get to that in a couple weeks. Good. He is the head over every power. He is the head over every authority. Stir chaos. Pray with me here for a moment. Abba Father, I feel uh, a weight, a weight of uh, importance on this word here this morning. So much so, God, that i got to shift that to you, because I can't carry it. We pray, Lord, that you would just be present here, infusing this word with your authority to change us, God. We want to we uh, leave here more awake than when we came, not just uh, physically and in terms of our physical consciousness, God, but in terms of our spiritual awareness of what is real, of what's going on in this world. Wake us up, God, and, and give us uh, a lion's heart to not be one of the billions of chameleons, but rather, God, to, to follow the distinct calling of a kingdom person, to live the distinct life of a kingdom person. It's what it's all that's about, Lord. So I'll be present here. Father God, for, for, for anyone listening through podcast, uh, television, any other means, we pray for them as well. And pray, Lord, that you would, uh, God, open up their minds and hearts to receive this word and to be transformed by this word. We submit it to you in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So Paul here, as we saw last week, is warning the Colossians, these Christians at Colossae, uh, not to be taken captive, put in bondage to philosophies that are hollow and deceptive. We saw last week that the specific uh, kind of movement that he has in mind is what we know today as Gnosticism. That was a specific form of the hollow and deceptive philosophy that Paul was aiming at. Uh, and we saw last week that, that that applies to us as well because we live in an environment where there's quite a bit of Gnostic thinking going around and some of the same Gnostic texts are, are being used to take people captive today. But this teaching here, this warning here, applies in a lot of different ways. It applies... Uh, to, to any kind of philosophy that could possibly uh, lead us astray, that could possibly take us captive. And when we hear about philosophy, it's important that we don't just think of a school of philosophy like existentialism uh, or, or, or Platonism or, or something like that. 
The term applies really to any system of thought, any, any package of ideas, any particular distinctive way of looking at the world, of interpreting the world. That is a philosophy, and insofar as it's rooted in human tradition, uh, rather than in Christ, it, is, it has the power to take us captive, uh, to blind us, to trip us up in different ways, to lead us astray in different ways. Insofar as it's rooted in human tradition, uh, rather than in Christ, it can be influenced by the stoicheion, the elemental forces of this world. Now, that term is an interesting one. It, it refers to one of the categories of angels, fallen angels, uh, that we find mentioned in, at several points in Paul's writings. Uh, for example, he says in Ephesians 6, he says this, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, not against human beings. It's against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What we find it reflected in all of Paul's writings is that, in fact, it's reflected throughout the New Testament. In various ways, it's reflected even in the Old Testament. Uh, that this world is caught in the middle of a cosmic warfare. We are smack dab in the middle of, of a cosmic conflict. And uh, these terms that Paul uses, rulers, authorities, powers, stoicheion, they refer to different uh, levels of, uh, in, in the hierarchy of, of Satan's army. And we know from comparing the New Testament literature with the literature of the time, it's called apocalyptic literature, uh, we know that these different uh, titles refer to uh, the, the different levels uh, within the hierarchy of, of Satan's army. Uh, these angels were given authority. And the higher up in the hierarchy you go, the more authority you have. And they all have some particular uh, authority over some aspect of creation or some aspect of human society. And God originally gave these angels this authority over this domain, However big or vast it was, they have authority over some particular aspect of creation or society. And God originally gave them that authority because he wanted them to use it in line with his will to reflect his character. Just like God gave us, human beings, uh, an authority here on earth to rule over the animals and uh, the, the earth, which, which means to reflect God's loving dominion and care over the animals and the earth. Uh, we have our domain and they have their domain. And the domain of these principalities and powers and rulers is more vast, more structural than ours. But it's, it's similar in kind. But we also know that these angels, uh, at least many of them, uh, joined in Satan's rebellion against God. And so they now use their authority over structural aspects of creation and society. Uh, they use that authority at cross purposes with God. They use it for destructive reasons. Just like human beings, now that we're fallen, we've been co-opted by their rebellion... We use our authority over the earth and over the animals, uh, in, in, in often in ways that are at cross-purposes with God's plan and with God's character, which is one of the reasons why the world is such a screwed-up place. And so these angels fell. The stoicheion, even though they're not specifically mentioned in Ephesians 6, the stoicheion are, are one of the categories of these, in this hierarchy of, of Satan's army. It's not exactly clear what exactly this, this term refers to. In fact, one of the things that's interesting about the New Testament writings is that they ascribe incredible authority to Satan and the fallen angels, and yet they reflect no interest in probing into the details. They're not at all interested in, in, in fleshing out what exactly these various terms mean. Uh, and, and that way they contrast rather strongly with, with what we find in some of the contemporary literature at the time of, of Paul's writings. So it's not exactly clear what the stoicheion 
uh, refer to. But so far as we can tell, um, at least in, in my, my research into this, the term is related to a term that deals with fundamental particles in the world. And so it seems, I side with those scholars who argue that this class of angels were, were involved in, in, in fundamental aspects of human society. We know just from Colossians chapter 2, the passage we read, that they have some influence, apparently, on the way humans think. Uh, they, they have some, some authority to influence uh, the way we look at the world, the way we interpret the world. They have, have an influence on our philosophy, on our package of ideas, on the grid through which we interpret our experience. They have some influence on our philosophy, our collection of ideas, our basic assumptions about God and ourselves and the world. And there's, there's, a, there's a demonic force that's involved in that, which is why it's so important to have all of our thinking deeply rooted in Christ rather than in, in human tradition. And these stoikeion are deceptive. Their power resides in the fact that they go unnoticed. We all tend to think that our map is the territory. We think that our way of interpreting the world is the world. Our basic assumptions are not things that we're aware of. We, we just have them. They are a basic set of ideas that determine how we interpret things. Uh, we just sort of inherit that. And we don't notice it. And that's what gives the stoikeion their power. Uh, we're influenced in ways we don't know, but that becomes our normal. It's just our normal. But what we're seeing here is that our normal can have a diabolical dimension to it that we don't even notice. I, this uh, last week, uh, saw, a, I think, a, a really good illustration of the stoikeion and how they operate. Uh, Shelly and I went to see uh, the movie The Hunger Games. And uh, whenever I talk about a movie or, or refer to a movie, I, I like to make a disclaimer that I, that doesn't mean I'm recommending the movie. I thought this was a good movie. Uh, but parts of it were hard to watch. Um, the violence wasn't graphic, but it was hard to watch because it involved kids killing kids. I just know that. But it really captured this dimension of, of uh, the, the way the stoikeion work. The movie's about this future society in which there's the elite class and the impoverished class. The elite minority and the impoverished majority. The elite have everything and live lavish lifestyles, but the impoverished class have next to nothing. They're starving. They live on the verge of starvation. They, they just survive. And they spend all of their time, the impoverished class, working to support the lavish lifestyles of the elite minority. And once a year in this movie, they have the annual Hunger Games, and they're called that sarcastically by the elite. Because what happens is, uh, the elite will choose, uh, randomly choose a boy and a girl from every one of the districts. There's 12 districts that the poor are divided into. And they'll choose, randomly choose a boy and a girl out from those districts. And they bring them together into the, the town of the, or the city of the elite. And they throw them in this plot of land and tell them to have at it in killing one another. And the last one standing is the winner. And then they get lavished with riches. And the elite watch this as entertainment. Uh, they've got you know, cameras all over the place on this plot of land as these kids strategize trying to kill one another. And uh, they find this to be entertaining. And the movie brilliantly captures the way that our normal can become demonic without anyone even noticing it. The elite, this is just normal to them. Uh, they're monsters who find this entertaining. And as these kids are going at it, the, the, the commentator, you know, they're watching this on, on these big screen televisions, and the commentators 
they talk about the way you would a golf, you know, tournament or, or a baseball game or, or a tennis tournament. You know, Ooh, look, at that was a clever move. Oh, look at that. Oh, that's too bad. And it's so calloused and cruel. It's, it's barbaric, but it's normal to them. They, they're just having the tea and, and, and watching these kids getting killed. And the poor go along with it because it's their normal too. The movie brilliantly captures how when you normalize injustice, it dehumanizes everybody. The oppressed are dehumanized and the oppressors are dehumanized. The, opp- the, the oppressed, they, they just go along with the thing. They're sad. The parents are sad that their kids got chosen and the kids are scared, but they all go along with the program and they kind of wave at the crowds and they participate and they go on the talk shows going along with the program. It's all just part of the normal, but the normal is demonic. And, and the, the movie captures the, the ugliness of this by, by making the audience care about these kids. You're really brought into their lives, especially the heroine, Katniss. You really care about her and some of these other kids, but the elite don't. And so your love for them clashes with the incalloused attitude, the inhumane attitude of the elite. And uh, in that way, it really highlights this demonic dimension. It's, it's all normal. It's just the stoichaeon at work. It's what you don't notice that holds you captive precisely because you don't notice it. It also, the movie brings out brilliantly how the, the stoichaeon, it doesn't use that term, of course, but how, how it, the Stoichaeon, they need the herd, the masses, to go along for their captivity to work. Uh, the, 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 the kind of rap song that was sung a little bit ago, I guess they don't call it rap, they call it something else now, but uh, that really captures it. The, the, the billions of chameleons who just go along with the herd. That's how the Stoichaeon operate. And, and, and so at one point, uh, one of the kids says to some, another kid, you know, what would happen if everyone just refused to watch uh, this, 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 these games? They, they'd come to an end. They need people to voluntarily turn on the television and watch. But of course, not everyone's going to boycott it, so the games go on. At another point, one of the kids who were recruited uh, talked to another kid who was recruited and said, what would happen if we just refused to kill? If we just refused to go along? Well, they would kill us, of course, but it wouldn't be entertaining for them. And if we did that year after year, they'd have to then shut down the games. And then they would just stop doing this. But of course, that means you're going to have to be willing to die. In fact, the movie, I think, brilliantly brings out the truth that the only way to break free of the stoicheon is to be willing to die. It's to sacrifice yourself. The stoicheon rely on everybody operating out of their own self-interest. Because it's always in the self-interest. It's always in, to our advantage to go along with the herd. Because when you don't go along with the herd, the herd get mad. You call into question a normal, and those who live off of the normal get very upset, especially those who profit from the normal. And so the only way to buck the system is to be willing to pay any price you need to pay in order to, uh, to, to break free of the stoicheon. Now maybe you think it's a stretch that this movie is kind of ridiculous, because how could human beings ever find it entertaining to watch kids killing one another? What a stretch. You know, you know it ain't no stretch. Uh, it, it's no stretch at all. Throughout history, throughout history, uh, we've had blood sports. Throughout history, uh, civilizations have found it entertaining to watch people kill one another, uh, to slaughter people for sport. At the time of Jesus and Paul, they had the Roman Colosseums where they would march in all the slaves or, or, or whoever they captured, you know, as they conquered another city or whoever, whatever criminals they had or whoever they just didn't like. And they would feed them to the lions or burn them alive or have the gladiators fine tune their warrior skills by killing them and, and, and things of that sort. And people would crowd the Colosseums to watch this and applaud. And it was the normal. It was just normal. 
Throughout history, we, we, we've, we've enjoyed, uh, it's been the normal to enjoy watching people get killed. Public executions have been a staple of entertainment uh, throughout Western culture. I mean, this was the highlight of the week, you know, watch someone get beheaded or whatnot. And, and you find it entertaining, but see, the powers, they, they benefit because you're also telling the crowd, this is what happens to you if you, if you buck our system. Crucifixion was the way they did it in the first century. Beheadings is the way they did it throughout the Middle Ages. And to this day, we, we, we in Western culture don't have it quite that barbarically, but, but uh, we, we like to, to, we have our blood sports, whether it's through movies or through cage fighting, uh, you know, and we don't do it to the death necessarily, though people die doing it. But there's something about fallen human nature that, that gets off on that. And if it wasn't for sport, it was for some other reason. Violence has always been normal. Throughout history, people if, if, from the start have killed for God and country. Of course you do that. That's just what human beings do. And if you buck that system, people get very, very mad. Throughout history, uh, you know, the, the early conquerors of America came over here. And, and if you read the, the, the original accounts, the stuff they did to the indigenous population was absolutely, unthinkably barbaric. But it was normal for them to do it. Even normal for them to do it in Jesus' name. You see, we don't notice uh, the water we swim in. It, it's, it's, that's the stoichaean operating. And that they hold us in bondage precisely for that reason. Nazi Germany, German soldiers would, would be having their fine dinner, smoking their fine cigars, playing poker, hundreds of yards away from the incinerators that were burning Jewish children. And, and there, you know, that, that, that couldn't have been normal at the start, but it shows you how we can, how, how we acclimate. We acclimate, we blend in, we're chameleons. And pretty soon that just becomes normal. It's not just about violence. Throughout history, women have been treated as property, sold. And men, men, especially men in power, have had all the rights to sleep with whoever they want to sleep with, and they can do anything they want. And women have just been the property. That's just been the normal of most cultures throughout history. It's normal in, in, in uh, many uh, traditional tribes uh, to practice female circumcision, mutilating females' genitalia to increase the property rights of the man who gets her. It's without anesthesia. It's a barbaric, in, in, unthinkably painful procedure uh, just done to enhance male power. But that was the normal. It was just what you do. You go along with that. Uh, first two and a half centuries of America, it was normal for Southern Christians to own slaves and to treat them as, 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 as cattle. You see, the truth is, we are very capable of degenerating to demonic normals. Amen. And the movie just highlights that. It's always easy to notice someone else's normal that's demonic. But it's very hard to notice our own. But see, we are, we are, our, our fallen nature is a chameleon kind of nature where we become one of the billions of chameleons that just acclimate and, and accept what goes on. But as kingdom people, we've, we've got to think differently about things. And that's what this warning that Paul's giving us is all about. Beware, wake up, notice, notice the systems of thought uh, that, that, that hold you captive, that are subject to the influence of the Stoichaean. I left the Hunger Games wondering what aspects of uh, my culture today are demonic that I don't notice. We never feel the demonic quality of our own uh, worldview because it's normal to us. By definition, you wouldn't feel it. So we as kingdom people have got to ask, uh, what maybe is demonic about our normal? And the only way to get at that is to question everything. To question all your most basic assumptions. To question your common sense. And to allow Jesus to undermine and subvert even our most common sense assumptions. Uh, if that's what it takes. Because uh, we've got to make a decision. Either Jesus is Lord of our life or common sense is Lord of our life. And you see, you can't have it both ways. 
as, as followers of Jesus, we're called to pattern our life after his, to live uh, according to his lifestyle, to manifest the kingdom of God. And that means by definition that we're called to uh, live a life that bucks up against every aspect of society uh, that is not consistent with the reign of God, that's not consistent with the benevolent character of God. We live in revolt the way Jesus did. That's a, a lifestyle form of spiritual warfare. We live in revolt against the stoicheion by having all of our thoughts, thoughts grounded in Christ rather than in human tradition, even if it's, a, even if it's a, a tradition that we happen to like, a tradition that we think is noble and true and wonderful. No, all of our thinking has to be grounded in Christ or we're subject to the stoicheion and we will be held captive and be led astray. We, we are called to be uh, not one of the billions of chameleons, we're not, we're called to be not one of the, the same, all the same, all the same, as the song says. We're called to be different. We're called to be abnormal. We're called to march to a different drummer, to follow a different Lord, to belong to a different kingdom, to be citizens of a different society. We're called to manifest the beauty of God's loving reign and to put on display His character. So we have to ask, what is normal in, in, in our culture? And, and just because it's normal in the culture does not mean it's the norm for Christians. See, it, it's, it's normal. It's, it's the normal uh, in, in, in America as it has been throughout every civilization from the dawn of time to kill for God and country. But should that be the norm of, of a, a follower of Jesus? It's normal in our culture now to have sex before marriage. You know, someone told me several weeks ago, well, you wouldn't buy a car without trying out, you know, without taking off a ride. You know, it's, it's, that's normal. But see, is that the norm for a follower of Jesus? You know, we, we've got to ask, how are we supposed to buck the system? It's normal uh, in, in America to spend 97 to 98% of your income on yourself, even though we live higher than, much higher than the world average, and 25% of the world is starving to death. But it's normal. We don't notice the incongruity there. But should that be the norm of a kingdom person? It's normal to just eat whatever you want to eat and not ask what did animals have to go through before they became food on your plate. But should that be the norm of a kingdom person who's called to manifest God's loving character to the earth and to the animals? We could, we could go on and on. We have to call into question everything. Everything. So the team that I uh, put my messages together with, they, they thought it'd be good to zero in on one particular aspect of normal in America uh, that uh, we take for granted, but needs to be called into question because it's influenced by the stoicheion. And we actually decided to uh, do it by focusing in on entertainment. And we did that for two reasons. Now, it doesn't quite uh, you know, seem as demonic as, as some of the examples I just gave uh, throughout history. But here's the thing. Two reasons. One is it's far more pervasive and destructive and demonic than we might think. Precisely because it seems normal to us. Our, our philosophy of entertainment. And we wanted to address it because it's one of the things that we haven't addressed here at Woodland Hills in a long, long time. In fact, as I did research for this message, and I'm going to share this right now, I became convicted that I, of the sin of omission that we have not addressed this in, in very in explicit way before. Because this is powerful. It is powerful stuff. Uh, it's it, it's uh, opened my eyes to some things. And I now don't think I'm going to be able to get to questions at the end of this, but we'll take the questions uh, back in the room here. Okay, let me just give you some statistics. This is just Holy Spirit open our eyes. Help us to see, see the stoicheion at work. I'm, I'm going to get all statistical on you here for a moment. According to the Bureau, uh, the Federal Bureau of Labor, the average American over the age of 15 has, has five hours of recreational time. That's five hours where you're not sleeping, working, going to school, or doing mandatory chores. 
uh, five hours that are, are discretionary, which is, they, I'm told, I read, the, the highest ever in history, which is odd because we feel so rushed and we don't have time for anything. It's odd. But we've got five hours of, of discretionary time. Uh, here, on average, is how we spend it, according to the Federal Bureau of, of uh, Labor. Uh, we socialize 38 minutes a day. We read 18 minutes a day. We engage in sports and exercise and recreation 19 minutes a day. Uh, we're involved in computer for leisurely purposes 25 minutes a day, though folks under the age of 20 do it three, are three times that, and folks over the age of 50 are much less than that. But uh, on average, that's what we, we do. Uh, relaxing and thinking 17 minutes a day, though the older folks do it a lot more than the younger folks. Other leisurely activity, another 17 minutes, and we watch television 164 minutes on average. That's 2.7 hours. That's 20 hours a week. I actually came across some studies that suggest that the average is more between 25 and 30 hours a week. But we'll go with the conservative one, 20 hours a week. Clearly, uh, viewing entertainment is a high priority for us as determined by how much time we're willing to invest in it. You can see our priority in entertainment by how we spend our money. Uh, the average household in 2010 spent roughly $2,600 on entertainment, which is movies and concerts and sporting goods, roughly 5.6% of the average income. Uh, you compare that to the average spent on charity, church and, and charities, and that was $1,200, roughly $1,200 for church and humanitarian agencies, roughly 2.5% of the average income, which means we, we spend more than twice, uh, two and a half times more on entertainment than we do on charities or church or missions or anything of the sort. Uh, think about this. Uh, in 2010, one out of three Americans volunteered at uh, some church or social agency. One out of three. And the average amount of time that the, that, that population, that one out of three gave uh, to, the, 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 to volunteering, was 50 hours for the year. 50 and a half hours for the year. Which means that for the 30% of the population that volunteer at all, uh, the amount they volunteered was worth two and a half weeks of their average television watching. And that's the group that did volunteer. The other 70% didn't even do that. We just notice that. It's a way of, this is meant to indict or, or anything. This is meant to, we need to notice that. It's kingdom people who want to live differently. You first have to say what is real before you can talk about how to change what is real. The stats for uh, young people is even more alarming in terms of how much media they're exposed to. This just blew me away. There's an exhaustive study on this done up to 2010 by the Kaiser Family Foundation. And what they found was the average American child between the ages of 8 and 18 now, they watch 3.4 hours of television, 2.3 hours listening to music or some other form of entertainment, 1.3 hours on their computer, 1.1 hours playing video games, and 38 minutes in printed material. That's their homework, I'm assuming. 29% of that is done while multitasking. So they're doing more than one at the same time. So the total amount of media exposure that they have is 10.4 hours in a day. They're only awake on average 16. So that means, you know, 10, uh, 10 and a half out of every 16 hours of waking consciousness has some media thing going on. And I submit to you that we're evolving a new entertainment-oriented normal. And that's about twice as bad as it was even 10 years ago. It's just getting out of control. This is the work of the Stoikeion, creating a new normal that is having incredible effects, uh, I think, uh, on us. Uh, sociologists say that the best way to determine what a culture values is not to do a poll, because we tend to be self-deceived about what we value. The best way to know what a culture values is to ask, where does the money go? Who do they pay the most? Who do they pay the least? And by that 
accepted sociological criteria, it's, it's significant that the highest paid, among the highest paid in our culture, are the entertainment people. Uh, for example, Joseph Cameron made $257 million uh, last, last year. Uh, and I was going to say, and by the way, if anyone uh, won that lottery the other day uh, and goes to this church, uh, I want to talk to you about tithing, okay? <laughs> Maybe we need to resurrect that doctrine here. <laughs> All of a sudden, I believe that. Uh, Johnny Depp made $100 million. This is last year. This is 2010, so two years ago. I, no, the, no, this is 2011 statistics. Uh, that's in one year. Unbelievable. Uh, Steven Spielberg made $80 million. And I'm not indicting these folks. I'm just reporting it. This is public information. This was like in Entertainment Magazine or something. Uh, and and prof- for professional sports, it's the same thing. LeBron James, the Miami Heat, with endorsements, made $44.5 million. Alex Rodriguez of the New York Inc. has made $36 million, uh, if you include endorsements. The average quarterback in the NFL, average quarterback now, not just the superstars, the average makes $15 million. Now you compare that, compare that to, say, for example, social workers. In America, they on average make $39,000 a year, not millions. $39,000 a year. And our elementary school teachers in America on average make $50,000 a year. This is our normal. I submit to you it reflects the work of the Strykeon. I mean, what does it say about a culture when we pay people who make nice entertaining movies and who can hit a ball good and who can put a ball through a hoop, we pay them thousands and thousands of times more than we pay the people in our culture who are entrusted to take care of the vulnerable and those who are uh, entrusted to teach our kids. What does that say? It says something. No one would say that we value hitting a ball more than we value our kids, but, but, but this is the Stoikan. Everyone would say there's something wrong with this, but, but it seems like no one can do anything about it. You know, we're not going to all go bo- and boycott the movies, you see? Uh, it, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's a system. The Stoikan create a sort of demonic, systemic herd mentality. And, and all the individual you know, cows don't necessarily agree with that, but the herd goes along with it. It's just, it's just there. You see, here's, here's a, um, uh, a syllogism that hit me t- yesterday morning. I think in terms of syllogism, this just hit me. And it so convicted me the minute I got it that I'm entitling this the, the conviction syllogism. <laughs> okay, and a syllogism is just like a, if A is B and B is C, then A is C. Okay, that's just what syllogism is. So follow this. It's absolutely ruthlessly logical. Uh, if you agree that worship is ascribing worth to something, we say that all the time, that is what worship means. Ascribe worth to something. And if you agree that we ascribe worth primarily by the, um, the, our, our, the amount of time and money we devote to it, that's a much better indicator of what we really find worthwhile rather than our words. And if you agree that whatever we worship is at least functionally our God, then you've got to ask, what is the God we in fact worship? What, what is the God we in fact worship? If worship is ascribing worth, and worth is about where we put our time and money, and what we ever worship is our God, what in fact is the God that we worship? Uh, we, we worship a, uh, an entertainment God. Uh, and um, as king of people, we just got to notice that. And it's having profoundly damaging effects all over the place. Uh, and in another sermon, I'll, I'll go into all of these, but, but I, I, my research has uncovered some, I mean, just... Uh, for one thing, like the, the, that statistic about the kids uh, spending 10.4 hours uh, being exposed to media, there's, there's some really good evidence and arguments that that, that has something to do with uh, the, the rising rates of uh, ADD in our culture. 
And it makes sense because the kids are, their brains are being conditioned to respond to external stimuli. Their consciousness is driven by external stimuli rather than their internal volition. They're not choosing where their attention goes. They're just, their attention just goes. And, and that's why you lose the, the capacity to have an internal drive on that. There's, it's, it's, and all of us, I submit to you, are affected by the stoicheon uh, and the worship of the entertainment God in, in, in different ways. It is, you know, just for example, it's, it's, uh, I, I, I submit, it's making us passive. Because entertainment is all about what we receive. It's, it's about, it, it makes us passive. It makes us passive towards life. We tend to view our lives like it was a movie rather than an adventure we're supposed to live. Uh, we, we tend to more and more, I think, live our lives vicariously. Uh, where the fullness of our life, you know, and that's what, why we get into entertainment. It's a distraction from our emptiness. We're bored. And, and so we, we watch entertainment because it gives a, a momentary sense of fullness. But we live vicariously through the movies or uh, an increasing number of people live vicariously through the lives of the celebrities. It blows me away. I, I, these, these celebrity magazines, like, why, people care about, about how, you know, how many bowel movements Julia Roberts has. I, I have no idea why, but they do. It's, it's, you know, we, we just live, live our lives. We just want to be little parasites who suck life off of you guys. It's the entertainment God. Uh, this, this, this obsession with this addiction to entertainment, it, it, it's leading us to seek first the kingdom of entertainment rather than the kingdom of God. And, and it's, it's, it's causing us to forget that this isn't entertainment. You know, we, we tend to view our whole life as entertainment. Like the purpose of everything was just to be stimulated, you know, and, and to be entertained. Uh, but rather, eternity is at stake here. We forget that when we worship the entertainment God. We, we forget that there, there's folks all around us who, who are lost and need Christ when we are, worship the entertainment God. The, the influence of the stoicheon and entertainment. I think it's causing us to forget that, that we have a responsibility to live a distinct kingdom life. We, we forget that we're called to, to sacrifice, to serve the poor, and to care about the lost, and to serve the hungry, and to house the homeless. We forget that we're called to put on display the love of Jesus Christ, and the kindness of Jesus Christ, and the concern of Jesus Christ, and the beauty of the kingdom, and, uh, and to not be one of the billions of chameleons we're all just the same, 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 same. But to be different, 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 different. And to be abnormal, abnormal, abnormal. As much as we need to be to put on display the distinct beauty of the kingdom. Uh, this, this is a huge thing. It's, it's huge. Uh, and it, the fact that we don't notice it, I haven't noticed this. You know, it just shows you how powerful the stoicheon are. It's what you don't notice that holds you captive. This is just our normal. This is just what you do. And so I close with just three, three very quick little, little encouragements here. Um, yeah, just something to think about. Right now we can just try to jar our orientation a little bit, start heading in a different direction. And I, I'll admit to you that this, this, this convicted me. I, uh, uh, this is one of those where I'm listening to myself preach. Um, we need to wake up to the stoicheon. Number one, wake up to the stoicheon. And that means just call into question everything. Call into question everything. Um, prayerfully examine your life. I, I encourage you to talk about it with others. Just ask the question. It would be a good exercise. I, I want to do it with my small group. Sit down and say, okay, let's just list the things that are normal about our culture. Just list them. Um, and uh, without judging it or anything, just list them. And then ask, is that consistent with the character of God? Everything, the most normal thing in the world, um, and, and ask. We, it, we, it, it, we have to, if we're not willing to call into question the normal, uh, then, then, then the normal is what is Lord of our life. It, it, it's what we, we march to. Whatever you march to is your Lord. 
Um, and, and so we have to just call, wake up to the stoikion by, by questing everything. Secondly, examine more specifically now the role of entertainment in your life. How much, and here, don't ask for your, your opinion, okay, on the stuff. Uh, we, the stoikion have a power because we are so easily self-deceived. We kid ourselves. We, we, we sincerely believe we believe something, but in fact, if you look at the, our lives, we don't really believe it. Because there's a reward in it for us to think we believe it. And there's a debit that's created by noticing that we don't. So, so here, we have to look at our life. If we're serious about being a follower, we have to look at our life. So look at how much, do, do some investigation, because you probably don't know. I don't know. I'm looking at it now, but I don't know off the top of my head how much I, in fact, spend on entertainment. Ask, how much money do you spend on entertainment, and how much time do you spend on entertainment? Because you only have so much life to go around. So whatever you spend is your devotion. It's your tithe. You're, you're, you're giving this. You have a limited amount of life, and you're giving that much to that. Okay, so how much do you spend, and how much time do you spend on entertainment, on television, on going to movies, on, on going to sports events or concerts. And I, hear me now, I am not at all saying that television's wrong or that going to movies is wrong or, you know, coming up with some kind of rule about what you can do or can't do. I, I've been there, done that. We don't do that around here. The Spirit's got to guide you. Okay, so this isn't trying to come up with some formula, but it is saying we've got to be serious about asking these kind of questions. How much time and money do we spend on entertainment, to the entertainment God? And... Um, and then, then compare that with how much time and money do we spend on the kingdom? Spend in prayer, spend in service to others, spend, uh, you know, uh, in, in ministry and, and various things. Uh, how do they compare? It's the best way to get an evaluation. On, on, is this, is my, is my relationship with media and entertainment, is, is it congruent with kingdom values? And so you just kind of compare these things. And the final thing I'll say is simply uh, this. I, in my research here uh, really uncovered this, uh, as the importance of this. Uh, parents of children, guard your children. Amen. Guard your children. I'm telling you, there's a monster out there who wants to devour your kids. And apparently is very good at doing it. Uh, I came across this research by Glenn Sparks. He's the guy who wrote, wrote Refrigerator Rights. It's a really good book on relationships and how they're eroding in our culture. And now he's doing a new project on the effect of media. And he's uh, been writing a book for uh, about a decade, so far as I can tell, and it's not out yet, um, called Seven Temptations of Modern uh, Culture. But he does some stuff on, on, on the media and kids that is just eye-opening. And I'll just tell you this, that he, 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 uh, he says, parents, you have to be at least, if not more, uh, critical of of the, the, what your kids consume through the media as you are about what they consume in terms of food. And if you wouldn't be happy with them eating all just sugar products, well then, then, then don't be happy with them uh, you know, devouring media sugar. Uh, you've got to monitor that. And that conflicts with a new kind of thing about our culture, about you know, kids' rights. And parents are afraid to confront their kids and, and we want our kids to like us and stuff. But see, Spark says, he, he thinks, and this is just his opinion now, you have to make your own spirit-guided, peripheral decisions. But he thinks it's absolutely disastrous to allow uh, kids to have their own private televisions in the room and even to be looking at their own private computers in the room. He thinks it's, it's just disastrous. 
You've got to monitor that. And, and the thing is, kids, most kids, and I, almost half of all American kids have their own private televisions in the room right now. He thinks you're just, in, it's like inviting the devil to have free reign on stuff. And, and the kids tend to know a whole lot more about this stuff than the parents do. They know a lot more tricks. They know the thing. And it's just, so he says, and as long as they're your kids, be guarding that. No rules here, just, just, just confronting, prophetic confrontation of something that needs to be confronted. The stoicheion. They are out and about and influencing us, and, and it's what we don't notice that keeps us in bondage. We've got to call into question everything. I'm going to pray a prayer to seal this on our hearts, and as I do, uh, I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come forward, and if uh, you would like to pray about anything, maybe it's about wisdom on raising your kids, maybe it's about something else, uh, it can be anything, I encourage you to come up here and, and pray with these folks. And then I'm going to make a beeline for the back, and if you want to have some questions, uh, we can fit about 20 people back there, and, and uh, we'll, we'll do some of that. Abba Father, um, we are aware of the stoicheon that are out and about and influence our thought. Uh, God, and we know that we cannot on our own just choose to be free. Uh, we need your empowerment. We need your wisdom and we need community. And so, Father, Abba, Father, as we leave here, God, we pray that you'd burn this message on our hearts. Uh, help us, God, not just to acclimate like the billions of chameleons, but rather uh, to uh, be aware of uh, the stoicheon and to have a lion's heart to confront the stoicheon and step out of the herd and to live a distinctly kingdom life. Uh, God, we cannot do it on our own willpower. Holy Spirit, will you just now infuse us with your authority and your awareness and your conviction as we leave this place to live in a way that brings honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. Go out manifest the kingdom.